Hey, Real Talkers, if Canadians were voting today, and yeah, they're not, uh, but polling shows that Pierre Polyev's conservatives would form a huge majority government, while Justin Trudeau's liberals would see their seats cut in half. What's behind this major momentum in both directions? We get there with Philippe Fournier in this episode of Real Talk, plus your emails about last week's interview with Gata Sasa. This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. My fellow Canadians, if we were going to the polls today, the numbers show that the Conservatives led by Pierre Polyev would form a massive majority government. Now, I know, I know we're not going to the polls today. We're not going to the polls this year. We're probably not going to the polls next year either. But still, isn't it interesting to see the tides turning? And the Liberals aren't just barely behind the current official opposition. The Justin Trudeau-led federal government has seen its popularity plummet. And as 338 Canada's Philippe Fournier is about to tell us, we're going to figure out exactly what this means, not just for the future of the federal government, but maybe the future of Justin Trudeau as well, Canada's current prime minister. And what about the NDP? How will that party factor into what we're talking about storyline-wise over the next couple of years? Stick around for this episode of Real Talk. The second half of today's show is dedicated to you. We're handing you the mic. We're getting into our Real Talk mailbag, and we're going to read message after message after message. Some of the best emails, the most insightful ones, the most thoughtful ones that we've received since last week's interview with Gata Sasa. Obviously saw a lot of new eyes and ears on the show. Not everybody was a fan of what she had to say. Not everybody was a fan of how I conducted the interview. And when we ask for your feedback, we mean it. It's why we're dedicating a big chunk of this episode to, again, having you have your say. Before we get any further, are you looking to get your team the industry's absolute best safety training? Danatech has been Alberta's safety training leader for more than 30 years. Their courses are designed by experts with real on-the-job experience, so the courses actually make a difference on your job site. Save lost time to injuries, stay compliant with changing regulations, and save money on training with Danatech. Big companies across Canada use Danatech's Wemis, TDG, Electrical, and Lifting Device courses for good reason. And they've got a catalog of more than 150 courses across all industries. You can visit danatech.com today to see their courses and find out about bulk discounts. Philippe Fournier is uh, one of Canada's most recognizable poll analysts. He's the editor-in-chief of 338 Canada. He's a contributor to Politico and L'Actualité magazine and a good friend of this show. It's always good to have him. Haven't spoken with you since the, the very beginning of the summer. How, how, how was the rest of it all? How you been holding up? I took some rest this summer. It was the first time in a long time. Good morning, Ryan. It's great to see you. And thank, thank you for having me back. Uh, much appreciated. Always yeah. fun to talk to you. Well, it's, it was kind of an interesting summer. Even, even And we would communicate this with our audience that typically uh, in the talk show business, 
summer is when everybody takes their vacation. Summer is when everybody does deep dives into do aliens exist? Are UFOs real? Has anybody actually <laughs> seen Sasquatch? But but that wasn't the way that it played out. There was a lot happening politically through the summer. Some of it emergency management, wildfires and the like, but a lot of other developments as well. So it, it was kind of a fast moving few months for us. Did you did you notice the same thing? Feel the same way? I would say that starting in late July, when uh, Justin Trudeau uh, shuffled his cabinet, and suddenly we had a few polls, which are rare in July. Usually pollsters also take some vacation in the summer month. And uh, you, we had the odd poll that had double-digit leads for the Conservatives nationally against the, the, the Liberals, whereas in the past year and a half, I would say, we would see either a tie or a three- to four-point lead for the Conservatives. Uh, and so when we saw those numbers, we figured, OK, it could be just summer polling, wonky summer pollings. We've seen this before. But then in, we got into August and then we got into September. And then in Quebec City, I was there at the conservative convention. We had polls that had 12, 13, 14 point lead for conservatives, including leads in Ontario, leads in Atlantic Canada. So the, the, the bedrock of liberal support in the past decade. And right now, of course, I follow the, the, the numbers daily and I, I updated my projection, my federal projection on Sunday. And uh, it, it is an eye opener, uh, 205 seats on average for the conservatives. The threshold is 170 still because I still haven't changed the map. The map will become official only next spring. Uh, and, the and the map is also advantageous to the conservatives. So we have to keep this in mind. The liberals around 81 seats uh, on average, so below the 100 seat threshold. I think it's this is the worst uh, showing in the polls and in the seat projection that I've had the Liberals ever since I began my tracking in 2017. Yeah, yeah, like 81 is is shocking and uh, and obviously a significant fall. Um, I want to hit this from a number of different angles with you, but I, I want to circle back to the conservative surge in popularity. Obviously, there's there's kind of a ripple effect when you get a new leader. Uh, Pierre Polyev ran a, a formidable leadership campaign. He raised a ton of money. He doubled the size of the membership of the party, which can't be understated, like 300,000 members, which is enormous. Yeah. Is this is this just like the, the the honeymoon phase, the new energy, the new leader, or is it more than that? It feels like more than that to me. Oh, you are right. It, it is not a honeymoon. Uh, I mean, I'm not saying that this will last until the next election because we don't know that. But a honeymoon happens quite shortly after a leadership campaign. And we didn't see that last year. So Mr. Poiliev became leader in September of 22. Uh, and that fall, the, we had the conservatives and the liberals still in a statistical tie in both the vote projection and the seat projection. So I think it we saw an erosion of liberal support starting last spring. Of course, there was the Chinese interference story. I'm not saying this had a huge effect, but those stories tend to pile up when you're in eighth and ninth year in power, like the Justin Liberal, uh, the, the Trudeau Liberals are. And um, and right now, what we see is a deterioration of liberal support. Uh, the conservatives are leading, I don't want to say by default, because I do not want to take anything away from them. But it's something that I wrote on, uh, on 338 Canada on Sunday is that Monsieur Poilievre's numbers are not great. They're better than a prime minister, of course. But uh, if you look at uh, Abacus data, David Coledo has an even uh, positive impression, a negative impression, has an even rating for Monsieur Poilievre. If you look at the Angus Reed Institute, still, Monsieur Poilievre is in the red. More Canadians dislike Monsieur Poilievre than like him. But when you compare him to the prime minister, 
his numbers are stellar. <laughs> and so uh, I, I think it is more of a case that the liberals are losing their grip on the Canadian electorate more so than the conservatives are gaining. But we'll have to wait and see how it goes in, uh, till the next spring, next next budget, I would say. Uh, I was uh, spe- speaking with Charles Adler about this yesterday, and, and I've been looking forward to picking your brain on the How You Like Them Apples video, uh, this mm-hmm. interaction of uh, Pierre Poliev uh, in the apple orchard with, uh, with a journalist uh, in the Okanagan sort of. Uh, I don't know, eating him alive in a way, uh, sort of a- yeah. acting quite dismissively. I've I've seen the word contempt invoked, which I thought was appropriate. People say the way that Polyev is casually munching on the apple shows the contempt he has for this journalist. Uh, you know, we were debating yesterday whether or not it was it, it's a smart play or a good play for Polyev's team to release this video. It shows him as sharp-tongued and quick-witted and assertive and also makes him look like a bit of a prick, quite frankly. Uh, is this exhibiting the secret to his success, or or is this something that you think his team may want to be a little bit more careful about? I know it's a boring answer, but I would say both. Uh, because, I mean, the, the the success of Mr. Poiliev was able to connect with, a, with many voters in Canada that feel like the media and the elites are not working for them. Yeah. Uh, and I don't want to I don't want to paint a too wide a brush because that's not every conservative voter in the country, but this is a segment that the polls show that it's a segment. So, uh Monsieur Poiliev's attitude with this journalist who was was clearly unready for to to, to face the, the heat there. Uh conservative voters, many of them eat that up and absolutely love it. The problem is if if we switch the role, just imagine if we switch the role and it was just Saint Trudeau doing that to a conservative leaning uh, uh, journalist, how would they react? Would they, say, would they have changed their mind saying, oh, this Commissioner Trudeau being all, no, I, I think the kryptonite of liberal governments in the past three decades, we could say it would be hubris, overmassive ego and arrogance. So uh, we have to be careful. The conservatives, yeah, they eat that up. But if he keeps that up, I think it could turn off a segment of the electorate that uh, the conservatives need to win an election. Yeah. Now, again, how the good the conservatives leader have to be if the prime minister is deeply unpopular? This is the question. But again, a hubris and an overmassive ego sometimes in the long run goes against you, not for you. Yeah. Adler yesterday is saying, you know, the conservatives are investing millions of dollars and he's right. Um, in promoting their leader, in promoting Pierre Polyev as, uh, <laughs> what did Adler say yesterday, Johnny? Here, I'm showing the video right here, but I, I think he was saying like, like husband of the year, father of the year, dad Matt, of the year, human of the year, human of the year, <laughs> Pierre yeah. Polyev. You know, showing this this soft side of him uh, with with his loving wife Anita, and, and and that's great. And she's voicing over the video, and the, the people can find it on YouTube. It's called "Who Is Pierre," and and it shows him there carrying his kids around, just like being a normal dad. Um, you know, being a normal dad at the park, and and then you release the video of him just being a jerk, and uh, and you kind of wonder, like, is is there this new dynamic, uh, in politics, and certainly not limited to Canada, uh, where people want to see a little bit of both? They 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 want to see the empathy that a politician can can uh, you know, dip into, can tap <laughs> into. And they also want to see somebody that's going to stand up for their principles, somebody that's going to stand up for their constituents. I wonder if this is all part of some big plan to, like, craft this character, you know? Yeah, the good family man who can be a prick to the same people that I dislike, which yeah. is the media. Uh, I, I, this is this is could be a winning formula, but then again... Uh, I, if if this attitude goes on for years and years, it could play against Poiliev. Now, it, for now, right now, 
he's benefiting from it. Of course, you saw selling T-shirts and putting slogans on T-shirts. So again, I think many partisans eat that up when they look at the prime minister who is in a, in a bad place right now, unpopular. The numbers are really bad for his opposition. So perhaps Mr. Poiliev can do no harm for his partisans right now. Um, I would be very careful because down the line, uh, I, again, if, if you switch the roles, if Justin Trudeau did that, I don't think many conservatives would voters would go, oh, okay, he was he was okay. He was that's that's a good move for Justin Trudeau. No, they like him because it was Monsieur Poilier. Yeah. So you've got now the numbers that, that you're looking at. Again, if you're just tuning in, uh, live streaming the audio on the Mixler audio app uh, presented by California Closets, we're talking to 338 Canada's editor in chief, Philippe Fournier. Uh, you, you got your Sunday update. People can subscribe to it. Check it all out at 338canada.ca. The Liberals, for perspective, you've, you've got them essentially like if we were voting today. And again, I'll say yeah. it. We're not voting today. We're not voting this year. Uh, so maybe maybe we'll we'll integrate a perspective check at some point if mine is insufficient. But the Liberals would literally see their seats cut in half, which is a really, really big deal. So if you're the liberal brain trust, and I'm not talking about in the prime minister's office, I'm not talking about having JT's back. I'm not talking about trying to save his political legacy. I'm talking about looking out for the good of the party and maintaining yeah. a liberal government. What conversations are you expecting to hear? You would expect at some point a caucus to ask uh, the PMO, like, what is the plan for the short term? Because we're getting you know, killed in the polls. And I, I, when a government gets into his eighth and ninth year, it's really hard to turn that back. But if I can may just add a little thing to what you just said, Ryan, there, uh, just imagine this, this scenario. The liberals in the projection basically lose half their seats and the NDP doesn't pick up any of them. And so uh, th this is dynamic that the NDP and the liberal have this sort of coalition that keeps this uh, the government in power. Uh, it has not benefited the NDP one bit. And so this is why I'm wondering how long it will take for Jack Singh and the NDP to not vote against uh, in, a, in a confidence vote uh, to, to throw the, the country into an election, but just pull your automatic support because you're not benefiting from this at all. And right now, the conservative uh, the conservatives are gaining in rural Ontario, are gaining in places where the NDP could do better. Uh, in my projection, the Hamilton region in Ontario, Windsor, uh, many places in the lower mainland in BC where the NDP did fairly well. Uh, actually, half the, the NDP caucus is in, in uh, British Columbia. Uh, you have a couple of seats also in Edmonton. Those seats are all in danger if the conservatives are above 40% countrywide. Um, so I think the dynamic here is both the Liberals and the EDP have to think about what the strategy is for the next year, because there's no short term sign that this could get better uh, in the numbers. And uh, and if we if we went into an election, let's say next spring with uh, with the, the budget, we don't expect the interest rates. We don't expect the economy to be picking up anytime soon. And uh, going into an election with such a, an economic scenario, I think, is a recipe for a disaster for any party. Uh, on our live chat on YouTube, Chris says Ryan sees a jerk. Uh, and I want, let me be clear, by the way, like when, when we're using words like jerk and prick, there is a big difference between somebody saying somebody's acting like a jerk or somebody's being a prick and saying somebody is a prick, right? Like 
there is a difference there. And, and, and politicians are politicking and they all play somebody on TV, just like I play somebody on Real Talk. This is really us, Philippe, but we have a character that we've developed, right? And, and I'm just saying his character spectrum uh, includes, I think they call it, what do they call it in Radio Johnny? Is it the character diamond? I think they call it the character triangle mm-hmm. or the character diamond. There's like three angles to your personality that you present to the public. And one of Pierre Polyev's is sharp-tongued prick that that's that's that, you know i mean that's just a fact but also i ryan there's a big difference between turning back a journalist who's not ready to face the music and then going on social media and fundraising on it oh that's sure the, that's the that's the prick part i think well and, I the, mean, the, the, and the how you like them apples i mean for everybody yeah. that's familiar with the scene from goodwill hunting it's the like smacking the phone number on the glass basically <laughs> the double banger middle fingers i'm making that part up but you know i mean it's it's the like you know suck on that basically that, that's mm. what that phrase is uh so 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 anyway so here's the comment chris says ryan sees a jerk the rest of us see a reporter way out of his league uh parroting liberal talking points i'm not speaking for the reporter definitely not his best day i don't think those are liberal talking points asking no. a politician about tapping into populism or populist technique i mean that that is what he's doing it's a fair question it's too bad the reporter didn't have a couple of of examples he could have cited on the fly because they are bountiful philippe like polyev claims in that interview he says i don't talk much about left and right i don't really believe in that are you fucking kidding me that's all he talks about i mean that would have been my response to i wouldn't have sworn probably because they wouldn't have given me another interview with them but are you kidding me um, another one from Stephen, who's watching in our live chat. Appreciate you tuning in, Stephen. He says, Pierre, while he isn't perfect, says we need him currently. Justin Trudeau has had plenty of opportunity to have an impact, and he's failed. Uh, if you want to call Pierre a prick, Jespo, uh, you can, but that reporter was trying to bait him. Uh, I don't think that reporter had enough strategy rolling out that he was trying to bait. You, you can't bait a federal political leader into something. They've reached the office with a minimum competence. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. And again, I would say to do it to your listeners, they're not wrong. The the, 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 the journalist was unready, but that's not, the I think, the point, uh, because Monsieur Poiliev does the same thing to the press gallery in Ottawa. Sometimes he answers as scoffing at them. That's not the point. The point then is he's trying to fundraise and completely ridicule the guy and make T-shirts about it. The, it's it's I, I don't think it's uh, I don't think it's elevating the the, the national discourse, but yeah. that's just me. Uh, Monsieur Poiliev is is all in his right to 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 scoff at journalists all he wants, but the fundraising on this is, I think, what is crossing a line that I think uh, it could go to dark places. Yeah, but I just feel bad for the for the reporter. He's just having a bad day. And there's a I, yeah. I recommend people read Shannon Proudfoot's feature. Uh, her yeah. opinion piece in the Globe and Mail, where I think she called it "taking a bite out of the op- the orchard interview" or something like that, and she's basically pointed out that this this is we're not. I, I don't know that the guy wants a pity party. I don't know that the guy wants any attention. No. He probably wishes that that video would would have found the bottom of the ocean. But um, you know, she, she writes about how he had written like nine articles that week, like theater reviews, restaurant reviews, political interviews. This is the plight of a small town reporter these days: overworked, underpaid. People wouldn't believe what what folks are making in media these days. 
uh, not in a good way. And while no. you may, you know, people will laugh and, and you know, defund the CBC and this, that and the other and, and you know, attack journalists at the end of the day, you're talking about losing accountability. You're talking about losing the, uh, you know, the the important ability to shine spotlights into dark corners. Uh, and, and the, you know, the general public will lose insight into the, the activities, the behaviors, the plans of elected officials. This is not I can't believe I even have to say this. Uh, you don't have to love every single journalist you come across, but they do incredibly important work. The fourth estate oh God, does. Yes. Right. I mean, like, oh, I, I think every once in a while we got to say that on the record, Fleet. Getting to I, I the core. I believe was is that the what the Shannon's are? Thanks, getting Johnny. to the core yeah. of the Pierre Polyev interview. <laughs> Good yeah. call. If it's uh, there are people and even organizations in the media that you can dislike and disagree with, that's part of it. But for many persons, for me, people in this country, they just dislike the press, the whole thing. And if that's the case, well, consider yourself against democracy because that's what you are. There's no democracy without a free press. And when you say they're biased, well, guess what? It's a very wide spectrum of press that we have in this country because we have freedom of speech. And so they are left-leaning, they are socialists, they are conservative. I, I know I was in Quebec City and there were some very conservative-leaning uh, and conservative-friendly media out there uh, throwing softball questions. So it goes on all sides. Uh, I, I don't think maybe it's conservative sometimes throw a tantrum when the uh, journalist says something they don't like. Just calm down. You're leading in the polls. You don't have to do all this. Uh, Philippe, uh, we always respect your time. I know you've got another commitment in four minutes. So this brings us to our rapid fire round. Uh, okay. So I'm, I'm just telling you, I've got about 10 questions left to ask you and I want to get to them all. Who are the front runners to replace? Ju First of all, no. Will Justin, I mean, I people, I've spoken to people on his team off the record, so I'm not naming names, but they have said, if you think that he's leaving, if you think he's resigning, if you think he's not running against Polyev in the next election, you're crazy. Uh, this could be somebody who's, who's, I don't know, willing to take the ship down with them, I guess. I don't know. Number one, do you think uh, Justin Trudeau stays on? But if he resigns, who are the front runners to replace him? I will say this, and I think many he's been observed by many people. Justin Trudeau has been a better campaigner than he is a prime minister. So watch out for Justin Trudeau during a campaign. Uh, who could replace him? The, the, the polls that we had so far are very limited. Mr. Carney, Ms. Freeland, uh, Madame Jolie. Uh, I, I don't think there are obvious uh, frontrunners. If you want to win uh, as a liberal leader, you have to win 30 to 40 seats in Quebec, and you have to win at least half of Ontario. That's That's the rule. And so who can do that? I am not sure. Okay. The NDP. Uh, you've got them. You know, polls show you've got them in seat projected around 20 seats. It's not that dramatic. It's, it's a loss of about 20% of their seats right now. It's not that dramatic. Um, I've always thought that Jagmeet Singh, I don't personally agree with a lot of his policies. I've never voted federally for the NDP. But, but I thought that that was the guy they could really market around. He's got a ton of charisma. He's well-spoken. Um, you know, people rip him for wearing a nice watch and all that kind of stuff. I don't yeah. know what really matters, what really sticks with people. Is his time up? I'm a numbers guy. And since he became leader, there has been no gain whatsoever. Yeah. It's been six years with no progress. You're not even doing better than you. You turf milk care and you're not doing better in six years. Uh, I would. I do not see why they keep this guy uh, still to this point, even though you're right. He's a very nice man. I've met him on several occasions. I think he's a good politician. But as a leader, the numbers show that he hasn't been able to deliver. So uh, next election should be his last, if he, unless he has a breakthrough. 
Last question. I'll give credit to Dwayne in the live chat for the theme. Uh, Daniel Smith is messing around with stuff like the Alberta pension plan in Saskatchewan. Uh, Scott Moe's party is seeing their popularity fall by like 10 points. Uh, most recent polls. Some people are pinning that on, on their commitment to the so-called parents' rights movement. It's been confirmed that police are looking into the Greenbelt scandal. Uh, could Doug Ford wind up wearing silver bracelets, facing charges? Who knows? Do the plights, do the stumbles, do the bonehead moves of conservative premiers hurt the federal conservative party? I would take Doug Ford out of this equation. Okay. But I think I would I would bet that Daniel Smith and Scott Moe will be part of the liberal ad campaign in the next election uh, because what they're doing is not popular in the rest of Canada. That's what the polls show, the numbers show. And so I think they would be part of it. Uh, Doug Ford has been kind of an ally for Justin Trudeau. I mean, un- indirectly since uh, since the pandemic. And so I think I don't think they would uh, they would uh, try to attack him because they share a lot of voters. PC Ontario and uh, federal liberals share a lot, a lot of voters. So I would exclude Ford from this equation. Uh, Philippe Fournier is the editor in chief of 338 Canada. You can check him out online. Uh, 338Canada.com. We'll link to that in the show notes as well. He's also a contributor to Politico and Lactuality magazine. And I always get such a kick out of this. Sometimes I forget to remember to mention that you're also an astrophysics professor. Oh, yeah, by the way. That's right. It's nice to see you, pal. Thanks for doing this. Next time we'll speak about the Oilers, all right? Take care, buddy. Yeah, I love it. There you go. Uh, Something tells me when Philippe says he wants to talk about the Oilers, he actually wants to talk about the Habs. Astrophysicist. Don't you love that? You talk to a guy for like 25 minutes, and at the end you're like, oh, by the way, he's also an astrophysicist. And he's like, like, no, I'd rather go into politics. (laughs) I'd rather talk about politics. Who does that? Only someone who loves it. He's. uh, (laughs) I I, I love his his just how he breaks things down in plain language. Uh, We love checking in as well with voices in Eastern Canada, and Mm. and, uh, we always appreciate him joining us from Quebec. It was, I think, at the beginning of July last time we spoke with him. So that's Philippe mm-hmm. Fournier. Give him a follow at 338 Canada. Uh, live chat's booming, and, and it's always interesting to see what, what people have to say. I see here a lot of people saying if Jack Layton was still around, the NDP would have way more seats, uh, possibly. Obviously, uh, he led them to their most successful election result in a long time. Um, Akhet says, if I, I'd vote NDP if I had confidence that they were serious about governing. Um, you know, the, the, the local liberal MP is aligned with my slimy city councilor. So I'd want to vote for him. Oh, I want to know where you live. The slimy city councilor. You don't see that all the time. I, I noticed somebody else when I was talking about, you know, voters want to see, uh, you know, the, the ability, uh, for a politician to demonstrate empathy or to have empathy or tap mm-hmm. into empathy. And somebody said, you, you mean, I, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, said something like, you mean you want them to be able to present the appearance of empathy? Yeah, some, uh, some crocodile tears. But the, <laughs> I haven't heard that in a while. But, but, the, but there is, like, that is a thing. Mm. You want your politicians to, to, like, reflect your sadness or a community's dismay sure. or, or a, you know, a, a constituency's anger or, or whatever. Um, but you also recognize that you can't feel strongly about everything. And politicians oftentimes are in a position where, you know, they're very outraged about mm-hmm. something. You Oh, you don't say every member of your party is outraged about it. Well, every member of every other party is not outraged about it. It's just kind of. Yeah. These, uh, and now we're seeing the flip, right? I think I think and uh, I mean, Philippe was talking about. I think pe- people want a little more hardlined approach. That's why they're loving this Pierre video. Yeah. They want. I. Th- I don't know why. <laughs> and I agree with Charles. I don't want someone who's just totally, 
you know, doesn't care about people's feelings. But the reason that Apple video is getting such traction is, I don't know, not that they want a prick, but they want someone who's a little more hard headed, who will go to the wall a little more. And I, I, I don't know if you just pick a leader because of that. But if, if you have the choice between the two, yeah. I think right now people are like, we want someone who's a little stronger. And I yeah. think you and I and, and this audience is, is pretty common sense driven. Mm -hmm. um, you, you see, Paul, yeah, for the most he, part, he's wearing yeah, for the most part. Uh, he's wearing common sense T-shirts now. So that's going to you're going to be hearing, uh, you know, he said in that interview, the Apple interview. It's by the way, it's like something like 12 or 14 minutes total. Um, you know, we're playing you like tiny little snippets of it because mm. uh, he because he does kind of course correct. Um, he has about 90 seconds. Polyev does 90 seconds or two minutes of, of like either his finest work or not his finest work, depending on your perspective. Mm -hmm. he, he's rather mean spirited uh, for about two minutes. But then he kind of course corrects. And, and, and then I, I was saying this, you know, to a friend the other day privately, uh, you see after the unflattering part, mm -hmm. um, where Poliev really shines, where he starts just in plain language talking about common sense and how this federal government hasn't exhibited common sense and how they're going to make common sense more common. You go, there it is. Yeah. That's his ability. Like you saw those packed rooms during his leadership run and you understand he is the type of politician that can get people. So is Justin Trudeau in the right moment with the right crowd. Mm -hmm. But Polyev is really a guy that can get people eating out of his hand. He can, but I, ju I just want direct answers from him. And I feel like every, I watch his face. He was in another interview. I forget with who yesterday and he just avoiding questions. And then somebody will ask him a question and he'll be like, well, where's your question? I mean, I feel like, <laughs> like even that Apple video, you watch his face. He's not thinking about the question or how he's going to answer. He's thinking about the best rebuttal, the best quick witted response, the best zinger, which I don't, I don't know if that's always the best approach when you, when you want a leader in the house is because like you said, it's all fun and games until you're in the big seat and then you've got no more zingers. You're the guy who's going to get zinged on. Right? So does he have a plan after the zingers? I don't know, but he—I I, got to give it to him. He's really good at—he's really good at the sick burns, you know. Oh, for sure he is. For sure he is. Uh, and like, don't put me on the record with that, but well, you know no, what I mean. Like, no, he, he is. He's, and, he's and always me, thinking about the rebuttal. He's not honest, thinking about man, how to properly answer the question. Part of me loves it. Like honestly, like the the ringmaster theater circus part of me loves it. Like I, 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 I watched that and I'm watching that interview. And while I was feeling for the I mean, I Johnny knows he sees it sometimes when I sit here at this table and, uh, you know, we're debriefing after a show and then I start watching and then I start talking to the screen and yeah. I start talking to the, and I'm and I'm like cheering for this this reporter this like kind of and I'm not who I'm, clearly I'm really, wasn't he wasn't prepared. Well, and I think, you know, we've I've been there in the small towns like you're you're dispatched to go cover like a, a, a news conference at a hospital. And I'm not making excuses. I'm just I'm just providing some insight into what it's like. Uh, you know, you're, you're covering like a news release or, you know, a, a news event at a hospital where they're announcing. Well, when's the last time they did that? But but, you know, they're announcing some new playground that they're opening. And so you rip over there and you get a couple photos and you talk to the, the person that raised the money with the lemonade stand for the playground. And then you got to run over because oh, Pierre Polyev's in town and you, you 
you, you get 10 minutes with them and you, you, you get a clip with them and hopefully you get a photo and that's going to be your, your, you know, your front page or your, your main web story. And the, but then, oh gosh, then that, that, that small theater troops opening their thing tonight. And then there's that family that has uh, friends in, in Syria or, or Gaza or, or, you know, somewhere else. And, and then you're trying to do that human interest story. And it's just like, yeah, mm-hmm. sometimes you get caught. Sometimes you get caught not having the right information. You get caught a little flat-footed. You get caught, you know, I mean, some interviews, you know, I mean, this, this kind of segues, I guess, into the second half of this show and talking about our chat last week with Gada Sasa, the, mm-hmm. the board member, at least she was then, uh, for Canadians for Justice and Peace in the Middle East. Um, I did not expect that interview to go the way that it did. Mm-hmm. Um, expected it to go in an entirely different direction. That's fine. That's part of the reason why people tune into talk shows like this because the conversations evolve. It's not a curated 90-second story. But it would not be an unusual circumstance for this guy to, to expect a few sound bites from Pierre Polyev, but all of a sudden, basically, he's being turned into the show. Oh, yeah. You know, he is... You know, he's the bull in the ring and the matador is getting him square between the shoulder blades. But when that happens, you got to reset. And I know you're going to reset after that interview. And I know this guy will, too. But if you're going to a like he wasn't on TV, he wasn't, you know, at a desk. You're going to an apple orchard with Pierre Poliev. You got to expect that he's going to say some things that are. You know, dog whistles that are zingers Uh that are just like the guy said, taking from Donald Trump's playbook. And if you're going to cite these people are saying you're taking a page from Donald Trump's playbook, at least have one name. Yeah. At least write down one name. So, you know, he's going to come back. He always does this with the little who said that? Where did you hear that? Who wrote that? And, you know, like, don't cite a CBC article because he's going to tear that down. Like, I could have better prepared for this Pierre interview, I feel like. Have one name of someone critical who he may respect so that you can catch him. Yeah. And uh, I think he'll reset. And I think you will, too, because that interview we had was, yeah, it was... It came out of left field, right? Mm. Um, we have, uh, you know, a lot of people asking interesting questions. I think even even about the, you know the impact of what's happening provincially in politics and how that'll uh, you know t- transfer into you know I guess federal impact if it will at all. Uh, and again, keep in mind, like if we asked you right now, what was the you know what what is it, Johnny? Now it's like you know October twenty fourth of, of twenty twenty three. Uh, if we asked you, uh, well, this is a bad example. I was going to say what was the top story in October of twenty twenty one. Well, it was obviously the federal election. But my point is, you ask people what was happening two years ago in politics or ninety you know days ago mm-hmm. in politics, and people go, uh, like, what was the number one thing? I guess ninety days ago here, October. So that would have been you know September. August, July. So it probably would have been Danielle Smith talking about arson sure. and the wildfires on this show. Maybe mm-hmm. that was the biggest story at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but politics change, and and people, you know, whether we like it or not, to admit it about ourselves, have short memories. And so there's a lot of time for things to change here. But but the reason why we wanted to get Philippe on number one, just love talking to him. Uh, number two, the the dramatic drop in these seat projections that he's done based on polling so what he does he doesn't do the polling he's a poll analyst right so he'll take a look at polling from reputable firms and then he'll translate that into analysis uh, projected seat counts and the like and to see the liberals going from i think what is it 157 something like that uh 150 you know almost 160 seats to like 81 
uh, is a big deal. You can let us know what you think about this. Coming up in, in just a minute, we're going to get to your emails. We're, we're, we're setting aside a bunch of time today uh, to read your emails, your thoughts on our interview with Gata Sasa uh, last week. Uh, obviously, a lot of people have a lot to say about that. Uh, if you didn't, uh, catch that interview. We're going to play a couple snippets of it and get you up to speed. But we want to remind you that uh, this episode of Real Talk is happening with the support of sponsors like our friends at California Closets. Right now, California Closets is uh, giving the free consultations to everybody that's visiting CaliforniaClosets.ca. You can learn more about their approach. Uh, by filling out the form and then contacting them to schedule an appointment. I've been through the process myself. You sit down with their team and it's it, it's it's great, man. You just grab a coffee and you sit and talk about what you envision. Like what's driving you nuts about your space right now? What's driving you nuts about your family room or your entertainment center, your mudroom, your playroom, your entryway, your wine bar or lack thereof? What about your garage? I mean, they do it all. So they talk to you, they get a sense of where your priorities are, they get a sense of what your budget looks like, and then the next thing you know, you've got renderings that will blow your mind. Not only will they increase the value of your home, they're going to increase the quality of time you spend in your home, including their custom garage storage systems. You can learn more by calling 844-977-1231 or visiting californiaclosets.ca. So good to connect with our friends at Kubi Renewable Energy the other day. Johnny, I'm going to call up their Instagram because they posted a video the other day that absolutely blew my mind. We saw this net zero fire hall that they worked on. Go to Instagram and, and check out Kubi Energy. Here's their account. Let me show you this video. Check this out uh, on my screen. This is absolutely remarkable. They, they worked on the Windermere, Windermere Fire Hall. Uh, it's, it's I believe it's Canada's first net zero fire hall. Wow. It's a building to be so proud of. But the roof has these beautiful slopes, and the, the undulations of the design is, is really remarkable. And you see how Kubi did the cleanest install that I think I've ever seen. I mean, maybe with the exception of the Edmonton Convention Center, which they also did. Uh, but this is absolutely beautiful. Uh, congratulations to our friends at Kubi Energy on that project. And of course, to all the first responders that are going to be working out of that Windermere Fire Hall. You can get a free solar quote today at kubienergy.ca. Uh, speaking of first responders, our friends at the Fairmont Jasper Park Lodge want to tell you about a new promotion they've got going. You've got a book before October 31st, but it extends all the way through till April. You know what I mean? So you got to make your plan. You got to make your reservation, first responders, by the end of this month, by October 31st. These are for stays between right now. So the uh, deal applies right this minute, all the way through till April 2024. They want to express their gratitude and encourage first responders to take a well-deserved break. And so they're pleased to offer a special room rate just for first responders this fall and winter. The rates start at $1.99 a night. They're going to knock 20% off all your dining, 25% off all your spa services. Carrie and I recommend the couple's massage. And 20% off the sun dog tour experiences, including transportation to Jasper and the wildlife tours. You can give them a call at the Fairmont JPL. Ask about the first responders appreciation rate. You can Google it or you can check out the show notes on the podcast right here, or if you're watching on YouTube, you'll find it there as well. Justin on the live chat says, it doesn't matter who said it, a valid point is a valid point. Pierre is a master of deflection. True, but when you say something, you have to be prepared for someone to call you on it like you did to our 
guest last week. So if you're going to say something that sounds like a direct quote, like everyone thinks you're pulling from Donald Trump's playbook, you got to have at least one name, one organized. You got to have something. And I, I said in the chat, because Pierre's a pit bull. He's a pit bull in the interviews. You have to be at least a little prepared, especially when you say something like an eyewitness account or it sounds like somebody said it directly, right? Yeah. And I feel, you know, I, I, again, I feel for the journalist, uh, uh, probably one of his. Oh, so did I. Like, it would be one of those where if you could take one day back, Oh, if gosh. you could take one back. Well, this is his, this is his, like, it's everyone's kind of going to remember it's, this It's forever. like the Steve Smith <laughs> hitting Grant Fierce skate. Puck yeah. goes in, Calgary Flames go to the Stanley Cup <laughs> final. That's basically what that moment was. Um, last week, we spoke with Gata Sasa. Johnny, can you tee up the clip for me that starts with her talking about the tragedy of a thousand children sure. killed that clip? And we'll get to that in just a second. Um, th this show obviously uh, makes a commitment to you that we will represent different perspectives, uh, most particularly on important stories that matter to you on the real important stuff and that includes the horror that we've seen unfold in israel and gaza the eyes of the world are there without a doubt uh, we've spoken to a personal friend of mine canera Dazeri, uh, from her home near tel aviv you can find that uh, of course in our archives uh, podcast and youtube we've spoken to charles adler about this uh, the son of holocaust survivors uh, and we endeavored to speak uh, and reached out to speak with Gada. She's a Ph.D. candidate at McMaster uh, in political science, international studies, uh, in particular around uh, Gaza and Israel and what she uh, calls green colonialism. She's also a board member or was at the time anyway of Canadians for Justice and Peace in the Middle East. Seemed like a perfect candidate for an interview. And the interview started out strong and then. To be quite honest, it went sideways and it prompted one of the most significant audience responses that we've ever seen. And so today we're going to get to many of these emails because it's important to us that you have your say and that you're able to hold us accountable and also believe uh, because it's true uh, that you go a long way in shaping the editorial direction, uh, not just of this show, but of the person hosting it. Here's a portion of what Ganasasa had to say last week. Over a thousand children martyred over the last week. I mean, words fail me. But um, this is why I think we need to be careful not to call this Israel-Hamas war. Um, what do you think it should be called? Because this Hamas. Hamas was voted in, ha what should we call it? Yeah. Is this is Israeli genocide against Palestinians? Right, but um, but but you but like for for reporting on it for journalism, uh, you know, starting with October seventh and 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 attacks on Israel, uh, you know, the I, I've seen people debate whether or not those should be described as terrorist attacks. Frank, my position is I don't know what else you would call them. Uh, there, there are a lot of people right now saying, well, Hamas does not represent Palestine. Hamas does not equal Palestine. Do you agree or disagree with that? We have to recognize that Hamas is the elected government of the people in Gaza. And that's not to say that, you know, everybody is supporting this government. I'm saying all Palestine, actually all political factions right now um, have been siding with resistance because what do you expect after a people have been besieged for 17 years. They've witnessed so many times Israel year after year is bombing Gaza. It's been relentless, killing people, killing journalists. And I'm talking about like, like we saw last year with Shirina Bakhle, a journalist, they just used a sniper and they just assassinated her. And mm -hmm. there's been no one held accountable. Like, even we recognize under international law that uh, people can use even armed struggle against colonizers, against occupiers. 
So I think it's important that we contextualize that this is not a war. That was Gattasasa last week. The episode is called What Does Decolonize Actually Mean? If you'd like to check it out in its entirety, Crystal was in touch with us to talk at RyanJesperson.com says, uh, Ryan, you really should interview somebody soon who can point us, your audience, to solid, accurate news. Picking media that relies on facts is apparently difficult. Says, I love your show. It's usually a highlight of my day, but your interview with Gata led me, left me utterly confused. It seems that she has entirely different sources than I do. Who's right? How do you verify facts? Choosing a source is vital to determining what or who we support. And it seems to me even our leadership is stymied by this. That from Crystal. Uh, Crystal, that's one of the reasons why I was uh, so adamant on asking Gata about the sources that she was citing with some of the more remarkable claims that she was making. And I understand the point that you're making as well. Marco wrote in to say, uh, Ryan, you relate a chat question to Gata about condemning Hamas. And this is something that I've been thinking a lot about and something that I'm considering even writing about. Condemning Hamas and its attacks should be easy. And it probably is for me and you, no doubt. But it's a complicated question for Palestinians. By asking this question, an interviewer is forcing a Palestinian to prioritize Israeli deaths over those of their own family, and it makes them somehow justify Israel's reaction. The question also focuses on the Hamas attack while ignoring the 17-year blockade of Gaza, the 56-year occupation, and the displacement of Palestinians that's been going on since 1948. Condemning the October 7th attacks resets the clock. Condemning Hamas also lends justification to the Israeli response, affirming that, yeah, the bad guys did a bad thing, naturally leads to questions of punishment. The discussion then isn't about if Israel should bombard Gaza, but about how much. He says, I have a lot to say about this. And that question, does Israel have the right to exist? You read Michael's question that he had submitted to the show. No country has a right to exist. Not Israel, not Canada, not Costa Rica, not Belgium. Only people have rights. But this is the last thing I'll say, says Marco. I spent two months in Gaza nearly 10 years ago. I met very few supporters of Hamas during my time there. In fact, most Gazans I met felt oppressed by Hamas. And as I wrote at the time, Gazans faced dual oppression, first by the Israeli blockade, second by Hamas's policies. However, Gazans told me that under an Israeli assault, Gazans will support the resistance. They will support whoever is fighting back on their behalf. Sometimes this resistance is grotesque, like on October 7th. Sometimes it isn't, like with BDS or the March of Return. I abhor violence. I'm sure you do too. But that's easy to do from my secure little home in Western Canada. I don't know what I'd do if my home was destroyed, my family members killed, my life marked by daily humiliations. Would I remain nonviolent if someone killed my son? I'm grateful I don't have to answer that question. Thanks, Marco. Dual oppression. I like that. Big time. I mean, that explains it. I mean, And he was there. If Are you going to be with the people killing you or with the people trying to kill the people killing you? I mean, it's <laughs> you're damned if you do and damned if you don't. I'm not trying to like create false equivalencies and drag things in that don't fit, but we had a really interesting email from an audience member after that former Nazi SS soldier was applauded in the Ooh. House of Commons. And somebody wrote into the show, I wish I could remember your name. We did read it on, on a following episode, but somebody wrote in to say, gosh, basically you guys, like all of Canada, needs a history lesson. No one is condoning, you know, what obviously, uh, you know, military service with the Nazi SS. 
at that time, they were saying trying to walk a mile in the boots of an 18 or 19 year old uh, that, that was that was off the Holodomor that had seen the horrific policies of, of Stalin. And, and it, the point being, they're saying, you know, th- that person's email was writing into the show expressing gratitude that they would never have to make a choice like that former Nazi soldier made, you know, mm-hmm. 75, 80 years ago, uh, back in the late 1930s. Mariah says, honestly, Ryan, I don't even know how to put this in the right terms. Uh, so hopefully real talkers will forgive me if I say anything wrong. I don't blame you, Mariah, for starting an email like that. She says, I really appreciate the show and the time that it spends taking on issues on both sides. And I really appreciate it. Even now, the word both sides is not such a loaded phrase. Uh, she says, but I really appreciated you having Gata Sasa on. She says, I know the interview didn't go as planned. I think it was because she just lost... 45 family members. If I was in that position, I wouldn't be coherent, says Mariah. Uh, That hit me between the eyes as well, Mariah. Uh, She says, I don't know enough about the history and the issue, and I really appreciate the show taking the time to speak to different perspectives. I feel like people online really know how to manipulate information, and it's very frustrating, and I would love to see you give the topic more airtime because I still don't feel informed enough. That from Mariah, and you better believe that we will. You want to load up that clip of Gata telling us about the personal impact of this? We did not know this. Like I said, when we, when we booked the interview, uh, we, we had reached out to a Ph.D. candidate with a specific focus on Gaza. Uh, she is of Palestinian heritage. She is the granddaughter of refugees to Canada. She's a board member on a national nonprofit organization. We did not know until she disclosed on the show the horrific impact that this conflict has had on her family. Last week. Uh, we lost 45 family members in Gaza in one day. 45 family members of yours were killed? Yeah, in one day. Yeah, it was a father, it was a doctor, his wife, his three kids. Um, he had one dentist, two teachers, their wives, their children, gone. Just everybody's gone. You know, I'm grieving over all of Gaza, right? They're all my family, but um, when it's so close to home, it really does like shake you how like, you know, you hear their stories like, um, you know, especially like the dentist, he was actually rescuing people in Gaza all week and he just was coming back from the hospital to try to like check on his family and he was killed. Prompted Cyrus to reach out. A lot of these emails we received like Johnny, like half an hour after the podcast went out, like this was something that prompted mm-hmm. people to be in touch right away. And Cyrus uh, said this this interview probably didn't go how you wanted. Uh, massive thanks for doing it anyway i was impressed you were able to refrain from interrupting something that i struggle with myself on passionate and emotional subjects Uh, he says a couple of thoughts Uh, this situation is just absolutely awful on all sides Um, he says the comparison to the colonization of north america is problematic for me Uh, there's no question who indigenous people of north america were before europeans came over uh, I know someone's going to write in to say there's no such thing as indigenous people of North America, um, but uh, but uh, not called North America at the time, obviously. Turtle Island, uh, good luck, he says, getting consensus on who the indigenous people of Palestine are. It's such an important historical region, maybe the most important. Thousands of years of wars, occupations, colonizations, where do we draw the line? Uh, or, or maybe, rather, we should understand the context of all parties and try to move forward with solutions that really nobody will be happy with. Yeah, like the two-state solution. He says, I was disappointed in your guest. 
she's a PhD candidate, which you rightfully pointed out. She's well aware, spent many years providing citations for her assertions. I was surprised that she was surprised that you were requesting citations on some of her more surprising statements. I'm glad that you did, and I know that you'll continue to on all your guests. Academia, specifically humanities, appears to be going down a road where you can make a statement or assertion and you don't have the academic freedom to criticize. Do you feel that you have the journalistic freedom to ask questions or for citations anymore? The extremes seem to paint people who do as white colonizers or woke or racist, he says, could be the topic of a future show. He says, maybe stay off social media tonight. That from Cyrus. Yeah, it was it was nasty. Um, There was kind of this trend. I'm not going to spend too much time. This is your time. Real talkers, not mine. But I was struck by the number of people that believed that it was a bully tactic uh, for me to, to question her to cite sources on some of the assertions she was making. You know, like we have clip ready to go here, Johnny, like like this one. Um, and even about the rave, I was reading about the rave and I was reading a lot of the people who were killed were actually killed by Israel. Like I was reading um, accounts from like the Israelis who were at the rave saying like, yeah, Hamas was not trying to kill us. And then the Israelis were just firing at us. And I want to say just on the record, I've not seen anywhere any allegation. And and maybe you can share those with us. We'll be happy to look into it that, that Israeli forces killed anybody at the music festival. I haven't seen that anywhere. Um, and I'm referencing right now the Pointer Institute, um, CBS News, CNN, I mean, major American reporting outlets, the, Amer- the AP, the CP. So I haven't seen that. Um, I want to make sure I note that. Um, obviously, there's a there's a big audience response to your appearance right now. We're talking to Gata Sasa, a board member of the Canadians for uh, Peace. And, and so there that, that was a you know one example. Um, she also asserted in the interview that she said she had seen recent polling. Uh, that showed that 95% of Israelis supported basically carpet bombing Gaza. I asked uh, who conducted that poll. That's an extremely fair question. Uh, for no other reason than this, and especially, I, uh, let me just say for our podcast listeners, if you watch on YouTube, you know this, we are always putting information up on screen as we're speaking with guests, and that is stuff that's happening on the fly. If a guest says a recent Washington Post article shows this, we're going to go get that in 10 seconds. If a guest says that there's a map that demonstrates this, we're going to show you that map. Johnny's so quick on the draw. Johnny on the spot, we call him. Try and he'll get you that map. We'll show you the research. We'll show you the findings. We'll show you the data. We like to have it in-house ready to go as much uh, as possible ahead of time, but that's not always the case. So if I'm asking a guest, who said that? Where did you find that? Who conducted that study? It's not an attack. It's certainly not racist. I'm not sure that I have to say that. Uh, but, but the noise online, in particular on Twitter, uh, was really something that struck me. I don't think I'm perfect. There were moments in that interview that I would take back. There's one moment in particular where I had a lot going on in my brain. I'm not making an excuse. I want to own this one. And she was talking about the intimidation and the fear that her family is feeling in their olive groves. And I kind of I kind of went, yeah, and I kind of like brought, I was trying to bring it back. The bigger context clip, if you look, I'm trying to bring it back to the conversation we were on, but it was an inappropriate move on my part. And that's an example of something I wish I could take back in that interview. Cheryl wrote in to say that history has proven time and time again that what people believe as truth is in the hands of the speaker and the listener and their lived experience, especially in reference to genocide, occupation, and war. 
Cheryl says there's examples of this close to home as our indigenous population that I was growing up was taught were lazy, were drunks, who were given every opportunity but chose to live the way that they did. Cheryl says Cuba and the American occupation, probably the longest running embargo in history. There's another side on that one, too. She says, I think the map that was shown uh, during Gada's interview uh, was extremely telling and went a long way in supporting her perspective. We have been fed Israel's truth for so long, and I found it very interesting to hear, with little interruption, a Palestinian perspective. It doesn't matter her position on the hostages, Ryan. That's an opinion based on her truth, therefore biased, and personally, I don't care. Nor am I going to present mine because of what I do know. I realize that I don't have enough true unbiased information to form an opinion that from Cheryl I appreciate it it is worth pointing out that since this interview uh, Canadians for Justice and Peace in the Middle East have released a statement uh, clarifying that what they're describing is an unauthorized interview by a board member does not reflect their policy or their positions they say that they become aware of the publication of this unauthorized interview Uh, They say the member was identified in the interview with Real Talk. They don't name the show. They're not trying to drive more eyes and ears to the interview. But they say we were not informed about the interview ahead of time, nor was the member authorized to speak on behalf of the organization. In the course of the interview, the member, Gadasasa, who they don't name, made a number of comments which are inconsistent with and or contradict CJPME policy and positions. Mm -hmm. It's also worth noting that this organization has pulled down its board page off its website and that she has removed uh, the board member of CJPME from her social media bio. Read into that what you will. It's not something I'm concerning myself with, but I do think that it's relevant to this conversation. Renee wrote in to say, I thought that and I'm going to lose some people here right off the top, but it's a good email. Renee says, I thought that Barbara Kay's most recent National Post article might be of interest. Uh, Of particular note, her referencing an article in the Atlantic Journal in 1961 by Martha Gellhorn, a war correspondent who visited various UNRWA Palestinian refugee camps that year, 1961, interviewing individuals there, observing the conditions they lived under. First, Kay noted that Gellhorn wrote that Palestinian children were exposed to the full and constant blast of Egyptian propaganda. And having been so devastatingly beaten by Israel again in 56, it only makes the orders more bloodthirsty. The residents hated Jews and believed all manner of conspiracy theories about them. Elsewhere, Gellhorn said that she realized she had the missing clue as to why, although she liked individual refugees that she met, she could feel no blanket empathy for the Palestinians. It was the consistent absence of empathy in her subjects for anyone else's suffering. It's hard to sorrow for those who only sorrow over themselves, she writes. It's difficult to pity the pitiless. Renee, writing out of Fort McMurray, says it was timely to read Barbara Kay's piece and then go through Gellhorn's uh, 1961 Atlantic article after listening to your interview with Gadda To me, her nonchalance about the plight of Israeli citizens massacred on October 7th can be seen in the same light as those Palestinian children in 1961 who were exposed to the endless barrage of dehumanizing Egyptian propaganda back then. She might well be a product of the environment in which she was raised. Sasa's suggestion that a number of victims died at the hands of Israeli defense forces at the music festival and were not murdered by Hamas terrorists smacks of something more sinister. Although I've never met her, I'm sure that as Gellhorn found the refugees she spoke with in those camps back then, Sasa would come across as a nice person under other circumstances. 
In your brief interview, though, she demonstrated no empathy for the suffering of Israelis. Suffice it to say that there is merit in Gellhorn's point about it being difficult to pity the pitiless. Renee says, while you appear to have taken quite a few hits over the manner in which you interviewed Sasa, I find the criticism undeserved. Your role as an interviewer is to ask questions and allow the subject to freely speak their mind. Your audience is also free to draw their own conclusions. And on that note, Renee says, I have made mine. Jay wrote in to say, Jespo, it's 5 a.m. and I can't sleep. I clicked on your YouTube video, what does decolonize actually means? And I'm astonished by what I've heard. The guest's information is alarming. I need to start by saying that you do an excellent job of allowing people to speak and providing diverse perspectives airtime. You also have an incredibly challenging task in taking on this subject. As a Jew, I am not a hardcore Zionist. I've been deeply troubled by the actions of the state of Israel on various fronts, West Bank settlements, the neutering of their Supreme Court, and their response to the events of October 7th. But I didn't appreciate the way that this guest presented facts without substantiation. Jay says, I'm exhausted by the use of the following terms when referring to Israel, which amounts to gaslighting, colonizer, genocide, white supremacy, indigenous when referring to Palestinians, apartheid, and the fact that Zionists are anti-Semitic. Characterizing Israel and Jews with these highly charged words without providing a broader or historical context is not what I expect from a scholar. If someone's going to make claims using such loaded terms, they need to substantiate those claims. Appropriating the language of other conflicts and applying it to a situation that differs on many levels is intellectually dishonest, but it happens repeatedly. It's a lazy way of gaining sympathy and oversimplifying situations. The history provided by the guests negates any regressive actions by the Palestinians or the wider Islamic world. Furthermore, insinuating that Israelis killed concert goers is simply off the rails. I appreciate that you attempted to press her on key issues. It's unfortunate she dodged your questions. Thank you for your continued efforts to provide well-rounded perspectives on issues, and I'm eager to see more of this debate as time goes on. But we need individuals on both sides who are more dispassionate and more honest than that guest, that from Jay. And we're going to wrap with this one from Jared. Jared gets personal. He says, last Wednesday, my wife and I got into an unexpectedly intense argument about the Israel-Hamas war that nearly hit the two-hour mark. It mirrored some of the dynamics in that Sasa interview that you did last Thursday, as well as the listener mail that you received Friday. Our inaugural episode of The Flamethrower, that's the new trash talk, was entirely feedback from that interview. If you missed it, you can go back in our archives and find it. He said, I wanted to share my perspective and how meaningful dialogue with my wife changed my perspective. It all started innocently with some chit-chat about our respective days after the kids were asleep. And then it quickly escalated once we started talking about news out of Israel and Palestine. He says, for reference, I lean pro-Israel. My wife leans pro-Palestine. It seemed obvious to me that we were both trying to say the same thing, but we were talking past each other. So I attempted to close the gap by making what I thought was an indisputable point to reach consensus. He said, I said... The attacks by Hamas targeting innocent Israeli citizens is abhorrent and should be condemned, period, full stop. Equally, Israel's apartheid actions and the killing of Palestinian civilians in their retaliatory strikes should also be condemned. And that's where my wife cut me off and said, but they're not equal. The power dynamic matters, as does the historical context. 
Now, being the incredibly smart woman that she is, she gave me several trolley problems to chew on, along with some other pointed questions. And I've had the chance to think deeply about them over the past several days. And the interview that you did with Gata Sasa was perfectly timed. It was a tough listen, he says. Honestly, I think she could have been better prepared and could have done with some better fact-checking, but there were many points she made that I now understand and I can sympathize with thanks to my wife. Jared says, now let me be crystal clear about something before I step in it. There's a difference between condoning an action and understanding it. I'm not saying that the attacks by Hamas are justified or that Israel has no right to self-defense or life. I'm simply saying that I have a deeper understanding of why this happened and more empathy for the plight of Palestinians. It's not enough to focus on the last punch thrown or the most egregious action. I need to look at the power dynamic and the context. He says, here's my wife's trolley problem and some of the questions she asked me. Number one, if a six-year-old boy kicks me in the shin as hard as he can while I'm walking down the street, am I justified in retaliating in the same fashion as a grown 32-year-old man? Can I punch him in the face a couple times? What if I lock the child in a room for months, limiting their access to water and food? How far do you have to torque the scenario for the boy's actions to become reasonable or for my actions to become reasonable? I'm not saying that Palestinians are children. I'm not saying that Israel's the adult here. This is not the perfect analogy for nations, but I do think the trolley problem highlights the disparity of power between Palestine and Israel and the historical context. He says in the power imbalance, Hamas has an estimated 30 to 40,000 fighters, unguided rockets, and spends $100 million in annual funding from Iran. Israel has 170,000 active duty personnel, 465,000 reservists, tanks, artillery, fighters, helicopters, drones, the Iron Dome, and an annual budget of nearly $24 billion. He says, and Ryan, why are you so sympathetic to the plight of Helen Nasland? Uh, to remind you, we spoke with Jana Pruden last week about her new podcast, which is doing unbelievably, by the way, and we're so proud of her, that podcast in her defense. It's the story of Helen Nasland, who was sentenced to 18 years in prison for killing her husband while he slept after enduring 30 years of abuse. You have to check out the interview. He says, why are you so sympathetic to the plight of Helen Nasland and, and the actions against her husband or the war that Ukraine is waging against Russia. I wouldn't put it that way. What is so functionally different about these situations compared to Palestine and Israel? And why is my logic not consistent? So what did I learn, says Jared? Dialogue on these topics is hard. I've been happily married to my wife for over 10 years, and this discussion still almost ended in failure, despite our shared experiences and deep understanding of one another. I'm not surprised that the interview with Sasa went off the rails the way that it did. I think it's fair to say you didn't see eye to eye on this issue. And there was definitely some talking past one another, which you and Johnny discussed after. By the way, I appreciate having a co-pilot here, a technical producer that can navigate choppy waters. I want to recognize that. You get handed a lot of tough situations. And, and the way that you deftly handle those with grace, with empathy, with respect... I want to note, Johnny, that I really appreciate you. Well, thank you. He says as well, Jared, the situation in Israel and Palestine is fucked, and I'm not sure how this conflict ends, but my heart breaks for the thousands of children in Israel and Palestine who are surely being radicalized as they watch friends, family, and neighbors die, the destruction of places they call home. It's like a cake that's been in the oven for 30 minutes when you realize you forgot to add the eggs and the baking powder. You can't 
pull it out of the oven and fix things on the fly. Some things cannot easily be undone, as we know, looking at Canada's history with Indigenous people. It's not an easy cycle to break. These wounds run deep, built up over many decades of conflict. Furthermore, you don't have to look very far back in history to find genocides that the international community has done a terrible job intervening in. Rwanda, Darfur, the Holocaust. I get why both Israel and Palestine feel the need to defend themselves. I understand why Hamas may feel it has exhausted all other options at this point. After decades of abuse with no change in sight. Similarly, Israel has just experienced its own 9-11. And I understand the urge of wanting to solve a problem permanently, despite how misguided that may be. Remember the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq, anyone? Asks Jared. So what will I do? I'll continue to listen, learn, and seek to understand. I love that. Seek to understand the perspectives of diverse voices on this topic. And at home, I'll continue to learn about Canada's own colonial history, which for me means finally reading the Truth and Reconciliation Report, the 94 Calls to Action. Jared says, I've listened to every single episode of Real Talk. That's incredible. He says, and your coverage of that topic. But if you gave me a pop quiz, I'm afraid that I would fail. If I really believe in peace and truth and reconciliation, both in Canada and in the Middle East, then I have some homework to do. Keep on keeping it real. That from Jared. I so appreciate that. These are your fellow audience members. These are the thoughtful perspectives that are shared with us that we don't take lightly. And this is far from every email that we've received on this. I want to thank every single one of you that's taken the time to chime in on this. This conversation is absolutely not over because tragically the conflict is not close to over. You can be in touch with us anytime by visiting our website or by simply emailing talk at ryanjesperson.com. This studio was built by Complete Care Restoration. And while you know them, you've heard them uh, referred to on this show as the masters of getting people back on their feet in Alberta after a horrific experience of wildfire, house fire, flood, maybe the discovery of mold or asbestos. They're also 10-year professionals in construction and renovation. Complete Care Restoration operates in spaces, treating them as though they're their own. This company is built by people who truly make a difference in the Complete Care family. Professional, respectful, and honest service is their standard, and they strive to exceed your expectations at every opportunity. We have seen it firsthand, and we recommend Complete Care Restoration with two thumbs up. If you find yourself in a tough spot, needing expert assistance look first at completecarerestoration.ca our friends at eden landscaping want to remind you that just because snow is falling just because the temperature is dropping below zero degrees it doesn't mean that they're hanging up their boots and headed off to costa rica no they spend the fall winter and early spring months moving toward the design process that's how they start to bring outdoor spaces to life by chatting with potential partners clients just like you about your visions taking a look at your pinterest board looking to see what you've ripped out of landscaping magazines at the dentist's office 
Just kidding. Don't rip the magazines at the dentist's office, everybody. They're experts in design, taking a look at budgets and motivation and how spaces will be used and then turning those into practical applications. They're a custom landscape builder with more than 20 years of on-the-ground experience in Edmonton and area. I'm proud to be partnered with Eden Landscaping, and you can find them online at landscapeedmonton.ca. We're about a week and a half away from the next uh, first of the month special at Friesen Brothers. Want to remind you that grocery purchases of $75 or more qualify for 15% off. That's a big deal for families keeping an eye on their bottom line. And of course, that's coming up on the 1st of November. They've also got Seniors Day specials at 10% off and a whole bunch of options for families. If you go check out the flyer link, the Family Essentials flyer at Friesen.com, that's F-R-E-S-O-N.com, gives you an opportunity to, prov- to provide quality food for your family with low prices every single day. You'll see specials found in all 16 Friesen Brothers locations and then family recipes where you can take those ingredients and spin them into great times around the family dinner table. Friesen Brothers for nearly 70 years has been Alberta grown and Alberta owned. Before we wrap, we also wanted to let you know that coming up later this week, the strategists will be joining us on Friday for a Real Talk roundtable ahead of the fall legislature session. That's kicking off early next week. We want to get the strategist take on what some of the priorities are going to be. We also wanted to let you know that legendary NHL goaltender, some might call him based on the numbers, uh, the greatest NHL goalie of all time. Who's that? I can't quite get there. I think that's a conversation Patrick between Wah. Patrick Waugh, Martin Brodeur, and maybe Dominic Hashik. Okay. But... Ken Dryden's career Mm. was absolutely unbelievable. And he's got a brand new book out, a former member of parliament, obviously, as well, and an accomplished lawyer. His new book, The Class. Ken's going to be joining us on Thursday's episode to talk about his memoir of A Place, A Time, and Us. Right after we talk to Ken Dryden, we're going to be talking to Barney Bentall, the Canadian singer-songwriter who's going to be performing on October 28th at Festival Place in Sherwood Park. I'm so excited to be hosting this event. Mostly, I mean, obviously, Barney Bentall and the Caribou Express are an amazing band, and it's going to be an unbelievable experience in a stunningly beautiful venue, Festival Place. But also, every cent that we raise from ticket sales at this event is going to support CASA Mental Health. You've heard representatives and professionals from CASA on the show before. Uh, This is, of course, an organization that assists. uh, They're closing in on helping 10,000 families in Western Canada, mostly in Alberta this year, with mental health supports, in particular for kids 3 to 17 years of age. All proceeds raised at this October 28th, that's this weekend, this show on Saturday at Festival Place will support Casa Mental Health. You can go to casamentalhealth.org to get your tickets or you'll find the link in the show notes. I can't wait to run into Real Talkers in person at Barney Bentall and the Caribou Express fundraising concert. That's this Saturday and you'll hear Barney on the show on Real Talk. That's coming up in a couple of days. In the meantime, friends, thank you for being part of conversations like this. Thank you for chewing on what we take bites off on this show, for literally taking the time to digest the information, to process it, to think about how it's changed your perspective, if at all, and then to let us know about it. So we grow together and we deepen our understanding of issues. It's the whole point of what we're doing right here on Real Talk, and it wouldn't happen 
without you. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, Executive Producer Josh Dunford, Technical Producer John Hicks, General Manager Katie Cook Chivers, Account Coordinator Lawrence Durlego, Human Resources Lena Shepard, Website Design Mike Johnston, VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandy Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a Relay Project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com. 